Father, you are worthy of our praise, you are worthy of our adoration, you are worthy of all of our lives and, and, and glad and grateful response to all that you have done to us, for us in Christ Jesus. And so to that end, we ask that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And Father, may we be found to be not just hearers of the word, but doers also. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we have spent quite a bit of time in the book of James this year. This is our last week in this series, and the beginning uh, feels far away. It was a long time ago now, so I thought it would be appropriate for us to take a moment to remember where we began. We began with these words, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we remembered as we first turned to those words that James had a number of other titles that he could have used as he addressed the Christians to whom he wrote, quite exalted titles. He could have said, James, one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem at that time, that was where it was at for the church. Jerusalem was the heart of the church, and he was one of the leaders. He could have said that, or he could have said, James, the flesh and blood brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that is what he was. But he writes first and foremost as a servant of God and of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but he writes as a brother of the believers to whom he writes. Fifteen times in this short letter he refers to them as brothers or as brothers and sisters, depending on what translation you use. Sometimes my brothers or dearly beloved brothers. He's not aloof, a great leader talking down to a lower class of Christians. He's a fellow servant and a fellow brother, and because he loves them as a brother, he wants the best for them. He wants them to be all that Christ calls them to be, all that they can be in Christ. He wants them to be mature, to be complete, to be useful, to be faithful, to be fruitful in the service of their Lord. And for that reason, he writes without holding back. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do for a person is to tell them the truth, rather than to allow them to cling on to a lie. The relationships with God and with each other are all wrong. They're dishonoring each other. They are fighting for position and for power. They are lashing out at each other with their words. They are bringing down rather than building up. 
And by dishonoring each other, they dishonor the God who has saved them and called them not only to himself, but to each other, brought them together, having bought them with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are effectively denying their new identity as children of God and as followers of Jesus and as people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells by the lives that they are living. James, out of a heart of love, writes to show them how bad things are and how much things need to change. He encourages them and exhorts them to stop drifting away and to start drawing near to God again. To draw near to the God who always has more grace to give. To draw near to the God who is eager to receive his children again. Like the father of the prodigal son who runs down the garden path, as it were, to meet his son. God has more grace to give, and his love has not run out. So now we come to the last two verses of James, and we see James essentially asking them to do for each other what he has sought to do for them in the writing of this letter. It's all very well getting a letter from the outside into the community to tell them uh, to, to, to change their ways. But actually, a healthy church will do that all by itself as believers speak the truth and love to each other. So, our reading uh, this morning, as you will know, it's just the last two verses of the book of James. It's page 1216 in the Pew Bible. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 19. <coughs> My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. Two verses uh, this morning. So I think we can slow the pace down slightly and just work our way very slowly through these two verses, as simple as that. My brothers and sisters, so a heart of love, genuine concern, if one of you should wander from the truth. That's an interesting word that James uses, isn't it? Wander. He doesn't say if one of you should run away from the truth, if one of you should reject the truth, if one of you should wander, if one of you should meander away from the truth. It's a gradual thing, isn't it? Not sudden, dramatic, one day they're all in, the next day they're all against gradual, subtle, meandering away from the truth. And that's almost always the way that it works. And so we must be vigilant. Someone once told me, when a, when a minister falls, when a pastor falls, they don't fall far. And uh, I'm not sure that I really understood what they meant when they first told me that, but I have come to understand it. So it, it may look from the outside that a pastor's living this 
godly life, or it may be assumed that a pastor is living this godly life, that he's up here, spiritually speaking, and then, you know, you, you go to your church the next Sunday, the next Lord's Day, and you find that the pastor has committed this scandalous sin which has brought his ministry to an end. And it looks maybe from the outside that he's been up here one day, and then suddenly in the blink of an eye, he's fallen all the way down here. But my friend who's got more experience in ministry than me says, when a pastor falls, he doesn't fall far. It's gradual. It's a subtle slide. And that wee step into that scandalous sin was just the latest in a long list of small steps away from the truth. Small steps away from the Lord. And so we must be vigilant to guard against this subtle slide away from the truth, away from the Lord. Now, if you're an animal lover, I ask you to forgive me for the illustration that I am about to use. Uh, you may have heard it before, but it's like the analogy of the boiled frog. Apparently, and I'm keen to say I have not tested this, but apparently if a frog is put suddenly into boiling water, it will jump out, uh, which is a sensible thing to do. But if you put a frog in lukewarm water and slowly bring that water to the boil, then the frog will not be able to perceive the danger that it's in, and it will stay in the water until it is boiled uh, and dies. And we must be careful to guard against the subtle danger of wandering away from the truth. Gradually, gently, small step by small step, not perceiving the danger that we are actually in. Wandering away from the truth is really dangerous for the individual and for the church. If one of you, James says, don't wait for this to be a, become a, a crowd of people, you know, a clique within the church who have stepped away from the truth. If one of you should wander, Scripture says a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. We need to be vigilant and active in encouraging each other to be men and women of the truth, men and women who believe the truth, and men and women who live out the truth. This is a message that we have heard from him and declare to you, says John in the first chapter of his first letter. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Spiritually mature men and women who know and love and live the truth, that is the goal, that is the goal. And it requires vigilance to get there. If one of you should wander from the truth, the truth, the definite article before truth is important in our culture because we live in a culture which would like to say, you can have your truth and I'll have my truth and that's equally valid and it's all fine. And that works its way into the church as well. Not our truth, not my truth, not your truth, the truth. It's not all relative. We shouldn't fight, of course, over silly 
secondary issues. We shouldn't divide over these things, and the church has a bad record when it comes to dividing and fighting and bickering over secondary issues. But neither should we think that we cannot know the truth or that we can each have our own individual truths, even if they are uh, in, in, in contradiction with each other. We should know the truth and love the truth and live the truth because it's the truth that sets us free. And God has condescended. He has come down to reveal the truth to us in a way that we can understand. He hasn't come down to us to reveal the truth to us in a way that, that, that we can't understand. Why would he do such a thing to the people that he loves? He has spoken to us in a way that we can understand in Scripture and in his Son. Psalmist says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Joy, light, and life is to be found in the truth of the word of God. Jesus, in his great uh, pastoral prayer of, of John chapter 17, prays for his followers. He says, sanctify them. That just means make them holy. Make them holy in the truth. And then he says, your word is the truth. That's his prayer for us. That's his prayer for you. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. And of course, it's the written Word of God that leads us to the living Word of God. It's the written Word of God that leads us to the true Jesus, who is Himself the way, the truth, and the life. And it shields us from false views of Jesus, of which there are many. So don't wander away. Don't swap it for a lie. I've told you before uh, the story of how one dark day in the 80s, since we've been thinking about the 80s and the children's thought, one dark day in the 80s in Cardonald Primary School, we One's playground, I made a terrible mistake, which I have regretted ever since. I swapped my granddad's antique, dinky toy car. It was, you know, one of those days, bring your toy into school day. And I brought this antique perfect mint condition, dinky toy car into school, and I swapped it for a wee plastic yellow matchbox car, and um, I, I cannot believe I fell for the sales pitch of my so-called friend who told me that this would be a good idea for me to swap this car. I swapped something truly valuable for something truly worthless, and uh, how much worse it would be to exchange the truth of God for a lie. Satan is called the father of lies. He's been lying a long time. It's his native tongue. It's his first language. He's very, very good at it. So we need to be careful. We need to be much in the Word of God, and we need to learn to love the truth. And if we learn to love the truth, to know the truth, to live the truth, we'll be a lot less likely to swap the truth for a lie and life for death, and light for darkness, and joy for sorrow, because that's where lies end. They end with sorrow. I had a great time with my wee dinky, my wee um, matchbox car for a wee while. 
Then I got home and told my mum what I had done. And suddenly that happiness dissipated. And I've never got it back. I've always looked back and thought, oh, I bet that dinky car's worth a fortune. I could be selling that on eBay or something. <laughs> Passing it to, to Katie or Grace. Sin, sin can be uh, fun for a while. Uh, but it will leave us sick and sorry in the end. That's the reality. So don't wander from the truth. Of course, that's not quite what James is saying, is it? He's not saying don't wander from the truth. That's certainly implied in what he's saying. But he's going further than that. He's saying if someone else from among you, so someone in the church fellowship, someone in the family of faith, if they wander from the truth, bring them back. And James puts this responsibility, it's important to note, on all of us as believers. He doesn't say if one of you should wander from the truth, then call on an elder, call on a deacon, or call on the pastor, or, 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 or call on the relevant committee, or call on the Baptist Union, or call on the presbytery. He says, if one of you, uh, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, then someone should bring that person back. Remember this, Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And that's a bit scary because we may not feel equipped to do that, to have that conversation. But let me tell you, as someone who's been through a theological degree and who stands and preaches the Word of God, that it's always going to be scary having those kind of conversations. But they're important. And we, ha we ought to have the type of church where we are building relationships and we, we know that we love each other. So we know that these conversations happen in the context of loving relationship. That we're not pointing the finger at each other. But we're lovingly seeking to keep each other in the truth. why it's important for churches to foster real relationships, not just to provide pews for the Sunday service, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, but to foster real community, real relationships where we can really get to know each other and open up about these things and have these kind of conversations. Now, I was uh, struck when I read the very last verse of James by a problem. It's like you're climbing a mountain and uh, you, you, you see what you think is the summit up ahead and you're really tired, but you, you, you see it's just there. So you push yourself and you push yourself and you push yourself and you get to what you think is the top. You walk over the kind of brow of the hill and you're expecting to see this cairn that tells you you're at the top and you're going to get your phone out and take pictures and put it on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. But you don't see a cairn. What you see is actually that wasn't the top at all. Uh, and you, your eyes look upwards and you think, oh, no, there's, there's more. There's another challenge to be tackled ahead. Well, I found another challenge in this last verse. Maybe you'll see it as I read. It says, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way, so that could be any one of us, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way 
will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Do you see the problem there? So let's say I'm wandering away from the truth and Sam sees that I'm wandering away from the truth and he comes and he speaks the truth to me in love. He encourages me to come back, to let go of the lie, to come back into the truth. And I recognize the truthfulness of what Sam has said to me and the loving heart from which those words have come, and I come back into the truth. Remember this. So Sam, in this situation, has turned a sinner from the error of his ways. Therefore, he has saved me from death and covered over a multitude of sins. And I read that and I thought, well, Surely we can't save people from death and cover over a multitude of sins. It's only the Lord who can save people from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Not us, not me, not you. Well, John Piper was, was helpful for me here. John Piper, being an American pastor, uh, uses the illustration of a lumberjack. So he says, picture a lumberjack, and he's cutting down a tree with his axe, and the tree falls. Who is it that's cut down the tree? It's the lumberjack. But it wouldn't be wrong, would it, to say that the axe has cut down the tree. Now, the axe can't cut down the tree by itself. The axe is just a, a, a lump of wood and, and, and metal by itself. But because the lumberjack chose to use the axe to cut down the tree, it would be perfectly acceptable to say that the axe has cut down the tree. The lumberjack gets the credit. The lumberjack's the one who's truly done the work. But the axe has been used by the lumberjack to cut down the tree. God will keep his children. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. We are comforted like David by the shepherd's staff, because we know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We know that we are prone to wander, so we are comforted that the great shepherd of the sheep has a shepherd's staff by which he can pull us back when we are wandering to dangerous places, pull us back to himself, pull us back to the truth. But he can keep us from falling away by using our brothers and sisters to warn us and to encourage us to stay true to the Lord. So Jude, at the end of his letter, says, Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. That's us, snatching people from the fire. But in the very next verse he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. It's God who keeps us, but he is pleased to use our brothers and sisters to encourage us to stay true. In just the same way, it was God that saved us, but we had people, didn't we? people of God, men and women of God who shared the good news of the gospel with us. 
God has his means. He has his men. He has his women. Who he will use to bring his purposes to pass. So brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, beloved brothers and sisters, we have our part to play in the work of God, both in reaching out to Airdrie with the good news of the gospel. We cannot save people by ourselves, but we can go out and we can tell them the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we might find ourselves the tool in the hands of God, the means by which God brings people into his kingdom. That might be slightly frightening, the thought of speaking to people about Jesus, even for some of us who have been Christians for a long time, maybe especially for some of us who have been Christians for a long time. But it also ought to excite us. We ought to believe that there are people out there that God has been preparing for us to come and to speak. And he will be faithful, just as he has always been faithful, to use his people to bring others to himself. He will use us if we have the courage and the faith to be used. In reaching out to others with the good news of Jesus and and in encouraging and exhorting each other to stay true, to keep fighting the good fight, to keep running our race well, right to the line. to refuse to meander, to wander away from the truth. But to stay true, to stay faithful to the one who has been so true and so faithful to us. He will use us if we have the courage and the faith to be used. Now, just in case as we come to a conclusion, this all sounds a bit sinister, you know, if they're wandering away, bring them back in. It's like, you know, once people are in, we never let them out. It's like the mafia, that Baptist church. Once you're in, you can't get out. Or a strange cult. This is just speaking the truth in love. That's all James is, is, is telling us to do, to speak the truth in love. Uh, and then it's up to the wanderer whether they stay or whether they go or what they do. Paul says in Galatians, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So let's strive for those kind of relationships that we might be mature and complete, not lacking anything we need to be uh, in order that Christ might find us faithful and fruitful in his service and for his name. Amen. Let's stand to sing.